0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Through our series, Divided, Seeking Unity in a Fractured World, we're coming face-to-face with the division that seems to define the culture of our nation, our communities, and even our churches. Join us as we turn to 1 Corinthians to discover the unifying power of a people who follow Christ. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible or electronic device, I want to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. The book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 1 this morning. Corinthians chapter 1. We started there last week in verses 1 through 3, and today we're going to begin in verse 4. And as we are turning there, I hope this morning you can help me Solve a debate that's been going on in my family, okay? I need some family help here this morning, and I'm hoping that you, my church family, can help bring some clarity in, in helping us decide which is better, right twix or left twix? Left twix, right twix? This is a deep debate, and, you, and this morning I want you to know you have to choose a side. You cannot be independent. You have to be either right Twix or left Twix this morning because we need to know because my family is deeply divided about this. You have to choose a side because right Twix is enrobed in chocolate, drizzled caramel, and a crunchy cookie inside while the left Twix is cloaked in chocolate with cascaded caramel and a crispy cookie inside. Different. That's true. Yes. We also see that these Twix, I did some research, and I found out that Twix are packaged at the same location, but the problem is right Twix are packaged from 12 p.m. to 11 p.m., while left Twix are packaged from 12 a.m. to 11 a.m. Did you know that? Okay, well, to help you decide, this is the Mars company that puts Twix together. This is what they've said. If you're a custodian, then you'll want a left Twix. But if you're a janitor, then you want a right Twix. If you're a singer, then you want a left Twix. If you're a vocalist, then you want a right Twix. If you're a bouncer... You should go for the left twix, but if you're a doorman, then clearly you'll choose the right twix. So which are you? Are you a left twix person or a right twix person? Let's take a quick poll, okay? Quick, quick poll. If you're for the left twix, raise your hand. Raise your left hand. Ah. All right. If you're for the right twix, raise your right hand. Okay. All right. If you haven't voted yet, raise your hand. Okay. All right. You guys probably like Snickers. <laughs> Terrible. So this is what we're gonna do to solve this debate. Okay, let's together, we're gonna put together a committee that's gonna make, make up both you left Twixers and you right Twixers. And we're gonna give you some time to to debate it together. You're gonna get together and we're gonna have these great meetings. We're gonna call it the Great Twix debate. And so, if you'd like to volunteer for that, you can uh, let me know and we'll put you on that committee. And what we're going to do is, these elected representatives from our campus are going to meet together and you're going to explore the issue. You're going to have some opportunity to set up some time for public debates where we'll hear from the left party and we'll hear from the right party. And you'll get a chance to hear those open debates. And then I'm sure the left will begin making buttons and the right's going to do a little bit better and they're going to say, well, let's make t shirts. And so on Sunday morning, you'll have the left Twix will be sitting on the left side, and the right Twix will be sitting on the right side, and you guys will have your shirts, and you have your buttons, and it's going to be a great time. Lots of celebration. And probably in about six months or so, we'll actually have a church business meeting where we will take a final vote to decide which is better, the left Twix or right Twix. Amen. Amen. Not amen. That's ridiculous. Right? Don't amend that. That's absolutely ridiculous. Why in the world would we waste time arguing over something that's so trivial? Twixes are twigs. But see, I use that ridiculous scenario to highlight the fact of how quickly inside of the church we can be divided. How quickly over something that may seem so in- in- insignificant... And sometimes we allow, and let's be honest with ourselves, we as followers of Christ, as brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes we allow our differences over opinions, over minor issues, to become major issues that threaten fellowship. You see we can agree on big gospel truths, right? We we understand that this is the infallible word of God, that everything that is contained in here is sufficient enough for us to know God. We can believe in the virgin birth. We can believe that God is fully God, or Jesus is fully God and fully man. We can agree on those things and we can agree that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Like we can sit down together and say, "Yes, I adamantly agree on those things." This is what makes us one in Christ. That we have this foundational set of truths that we all agree upon. But the problem is, is that sometimes we place more value on lower things. We elevate lower things than we do uh, the the things that are most important. And when we elevate these lower things, they begin to threaten our fellowship and we don't get along. So let's agree today that it doesn't matter if you're a right Twix or a left Twix, Twix is the best. I'm just kidding. Twixes are Twix, right? doesn't matter. And you Snicker lovers out there, we're going to find you. <laughs> I'm kidding. I love Snickers. Just I love all candy. So I'm it's, it's, an <laughs> equal opportunity eater. Last week, we began this sermon series, where we've entitled Divided, Seeking Unity in a Divided World, where we're examining Paul, the first chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. And we talked about last week that Paul is engaging in a, a culture that was deeply divided, And he's trying to help these believers understand that when you walk in your new identity as a Christian and you live in this Christian community, it's different than when you live in in fellowship or or communities or connections outside of the church. And that there are very much pressures in the culture of, of the Corinthians day. And there are dangers too in our own day that are seeking to divide us. And so Paul wants to give the church and give us an opportunity to look in how we can follow Jesus faithfully in the midst of a deeply divided culture. One of the things we talked about last week that is, is hard for us is this idea of individualism. This is how, this is like running rampant inside of our own culture, is that the only person that matters is me. I'm autonomous, I don't need other people, and that goes, that flies right into the face of this idea of unity that should be present within the church. There is no I, there is, and there is no me, there is only we. That's the beauty of the church is the church is not made up of one individual, and the church is not a building, but the church is people, a collective people that have all come to place, to bow their knee at the foot of Christ and to trust in him as their Lord and Savior. And when we do that, the blood of Jesus covers all of us and makes us free, makes us whole. So today, we're, as we're continuing to look at this letter, what we're going to see is we're still in the greeting of Paul's letter. We're gonna go from the the beginning of his letter from the salutation, who it's to and what it's for, and now he gives them an opportunity to go through some thanksgiving. And what we're going to see in this is that God has given us everything that we need in Christ. God has given us everything that we need in Christ. We're gonna see two truths from this passage today. The first, what we're going to see is that we are rich in the right things. We are rich in the right things. Look with me in verse four of 1 Corinthians chapter one. Paul says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you are enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to see here that Paul, as he's beginning um, this letter, he is engaged in an amazingly good discipleship practice. Right In verse 4, before he gets to the hard conversation, because Paul is going to give them a list of the things that are causing division among them, and he's not going to hold back. He's not going to hold any punches, but he's going to fully allow them to see the damaging path that they are walking. But before he gets to that, he invokes a very great discipleship strategy. If you have to have a hard conversation with someone, It's much better if you go into that conversation, especially if it's a discipleship conversation, where you begin with things that you can praise, right? I see that you have grown in this area. I can see that you are developing in this way. And then after you get to that point and you allow the person to know that you care for them and you see them and you can see the progress that they're making, then you come in with the challenging conversations. Then you can see you're doing great, but now let's take a look at these areas of your life where you can can apply some more effort or maybe you need um, some more care. So this is exactly what Paul is doing here. So before he gets to the long list of problems, he begins with encouraging them by pointing out the ways in which they're growing and in the, the ways in which they're honoring God. That's why he says this. He says he gives thanks always to God for them. So he knows, remember Paul is the one that planted this church, so he knows the, the, the main people there pretty intimately, And I'm sure the church has grown from the time that he left, but in his mind, as he considers them, he he continues to go back to God and to thank God for them for the ways in which that he sees them growing. And he gives them a couple things. First, he says that they are growing in grace, right? Because of the grace that God has given them. And then he goes on and says that he also can praise and thanks God for them for their speech and for their knowledge, for in all speech and in all knowledge they have been enriched. So what Paul is saying here, and what he wants us to understand, is because of the Corinthians' faith in Christ, and because of our faith in Christ, we have been given inexhaustible grace. I like that word. Right? Grace is a good enough word as it is, but when you add to it the word inexhaustible, Right? It gives this sense of there is no limit to God's grace in our lives. That it's almost like the more we sin, the more grace that we get. But then Paul goes on to say that reality is true, but should we continue to sin so that grace may abound? He says, no, let's not do that. Let's not abuse the grace of God. Let's not cheapen the grace of God, but let us understand that God's grace is inexhaustible. And when we come to faith in Christ, when we trust in Christ as our Savior and Lord, we are united to Christ. So what happens is that it's no longer our work that God sees, but God sees the work of his son, Jesus. And Jesus did it perfectly. Jesus came and lived the perfect life and then died on a cross in our place And through him, now we are free from judgment and we have been made alive in Christ. And now these Corinthians, because of their faith in Christ, they now have the power to live in Christ and to obey. And so now they're walking around as believers that have no condemnation. There's there's no judgment over them. They have been freely forgiven. The blood of Christ has covered them and it's no longer What they've done or who they were, they now are forgiven. So there's no longer any shame. And here's the crazy thing, too, about this is that when we understand the inexhaustible grace of God, it's in in each one of our lives, it's not as though each one of us have a different grace gauge. Right? I, I don't see in your life, there's not a gauge over your head about how much grace that you've been given. Right? Some of you are, are, are really, really good, so your grace is about this much, but then some of you are really, really, really bad, and your grace is all the way up here. We don't see that. You know why? Because if we did, we would use that as an opportunity to find distinction. Right? If you have more grace than I have, then someone may, may decide, well, that's one thing that's good. So you want more grace? Well, I'm going to do everything that I can to get more grace so that I can be part of the grace party. Or some of you then say, no, 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 God wants us to live holy lives, so I'm going to seek holiness, and I want my grace to be low. Do you see how that can quickly happen? With Because we do that. We, we are natural people that, that constantly want to divide ourselves out by being this party or this party or this group or this group. We want to be people of distinction. And what Paul is saying here is, is that you have been received inexhaustible grace So if you've come to place faith in Jesus Christ, you have all the grace that you need. And the amount of grace that you need and the amount of grace that I need, it doesn't matter because God doesn't see that. We don't see that. We just know that we are recipients of this grace. So each of us have equal standing. But then he goes on and says, the second gift that they were given or they displayed was in that of their speech and in their knowledge they had gifts of speaking, the ability to tell the truth, and understanding, they had the ability to grasp the truth. And so these gifts that they were giving is that they, they could understand this gift that was given to them by the Holy Spirit. They could now understand what is true. They could look at things in the world and be able to discern what was truth and what was error. And then they not only did they have the ability to discern they also had the ability to speak. They had the ability because the Holy Spirit lived inside of them. They could speak from this knowledge. They could speak truth. And they could help them grow in grace. These gifts were present in the church for the people. And in verse 7, we see, that, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. They had everything that they needed. They needed. And we know that they are waiting, and we are waiting for Jesus to come again. And while we wait, he has given us all that we need. He's given us grace. He's given us the ability to understand truth. And he's given us the ability to speak truth. That's one of the things that makes us different from everyone else. Outside of the world, the world is not founded upon things that are true anymore. The world we live in is finding everything based on feeling. And so if we live a world that's based on feeling, then your feeling and my feeling, they could be different and then we can't agree because one day you're going to feel this way and I may feel the same way one day, but the next day I'm going to feel different and you're going to feel different and then we have to part ways. Or we lead to deep divisions. But we have the gift of having truth. We have the gift of being able to know it and understand it and we have the ability to speak it. These gifts are super helpful in helping us walk in unity in the church. We are rich in these things, and they are given to us so that we may walk in unity. This is how it might be helpful. As we have been and as we are recipients of grace, as we have received the grace of the Lord, as we look to God and now there's no condemnation, there's no shame, there's just grace. Since we've been the recipients of grace, we have the ability to be dispensers of grace, right? We receive it, we have it, we know what it is, we know what it feels like, and we have the ability to extend it to others. It allows us to be gracious to one another. As we talked about last week, you remember Paul was, was talking about when we come into faith uh, in Christ, we begin this journey called sanctification. God is moving us towards holiness. But here's the thing about sanctification. Each one of us are taking a different path towards that. Right? Paul, Paul would say in other places, in, in our relationship with the Lord, some of us are mature or some of us are strong, or some of us are weak, or some of us are young. And so Paul has this understanding of though the grace is the same, we're all on different journeys towards that. Some of us take a little bit longer to grow. Some of us remain babes in Christ for a long time, and we need encouragement to grow. And so we're all in different places. We're all in different spiritual maturity levels. And so some are strong and some are weak. And sometimes division in the church comes because there's a lack of grace. We expect everyone to think like me and to live like me and to be exactly where I am in my journey with the Lord. But I'll tell you, some of you are way ahead of me. Some of you are way behind. But it doesn't matter because there's grace. There's grace to understand that when we see ourselves in relation to each other, it doesn't divide but brings us together. So when there's a lack of grace because of a conviction or a conscience, grace helps us sift through those so that we may maintain unity. I love how Paul writes in in Romans chapter 14 about how we sift through this. And this is what he says in Romans 14 verse 1. He says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind that one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord and the one who eats eats in honors of the Lord since he gives thanks to the Lord while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to the Lord. Now, I don't know if you would be able to track all of that argument and I would encourage you to, to read chapter uh, 14 later on today. But what Paul is talking about is how we live in relationship to each other when it relates to conviction and conscience, right? He's not talking about big T truth about the gospel. He's talking about life, and he says, if, if one of you, like, eats and one of you only eats vegetables, if one of you eats meat and one of you eats vegetables and it's based on your conscience, he's like, that should not divide you, right? If you celebrate one day as more important than the others, it, it, that shouldn't bother you if... In essence, all of these are seeking to honor the Lord. If we're doing, because of conscience or because of conviction, if we say, hey, my family is, is not going to celebrate uh, Christmas because of the connection to pagan rituals and everything like that, right? We, that's, that's a way of, of choosing a position based on trying to honor the Lord. If that person then were to say, well, all of you that celebrate Christmas are just materialistic goofballs, well... I've just gone the next step of passing judgment. And this is what Paul's getting at. It's so easy for us to divide each other when we think about things that are conscious or conviction that aren't founded gospel truth. Sometimes we, and he says, be careful. He says, don't quarrel over opinions, don't pass judgment on one another. But if if you're in communication with each other, you have the ability to think and you have the ability to speak because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, then spend time like working through that. Like if you're a meat eater and you're not a meat eater, like take the time to communicate together. Say, well, how is it that you honor the Lord in this and let the person speak to you and they'll tell you how they honor the Lord in that. And if it's not based on sinful practice that the Bible clearly prohibits, then we should give grace to one another. Okay, I'm going to get a little bit closer to home. I've heard people say that you you can't be a Republican and be a Christian. I've also heard it said that you can't be a Democrat and be a Christian. Have you guys heard that? That statement in and of itself is a statement of judgment. That Paul condemns right we we can we can agree that I, I don't know where you are politically I, I, I don't I don't know I know some of you where you're at politically but I don't know where all you are compl- compl- but even those that are that are very outspoken in your identity with a political party even in that if I were to talk to you and say do you agree with everything that that political party stands for oh absolutely not okay so we agree with that, right? And so we can, we can come to this understanding. And as I've sat down with people that are really, really strong in both sides, one of the things that I ask, ask people is like, so how do you view these things? How, work these things out for me. And, and they, many times, some of their philosophies come from deep biblical teaching that is this understanding. Every person values human life. Can we agree on that this morning? We believe that every person has been made in the image of God. Can we agree on that? The Bible says so, so we should. Uh, You're outside of Orthodox teaching if you don't. We're all made in the image of God, and that fact makes each one of us have dignity and worth. The difference is, is that somehow, sometimes we have that understanding, and we see it being applied in different ways. It may be a different way of understanding immigration. Right? Someone may, may seek to themselves and say, man, I, I, I'm with this view because I believe that I'm so thankful for my opportunity to be an American, that God has given us this gift. I want everyone in the world, if they want to, to be able to experience this. And if that's their teaching, I think that honors the Lord. Right? That honors the Lord. And so because of that, they may have a different conviction or a different conscience towards a political party. Man, I can't tell you the number of times that I've had conversations with people and I've sat down with them and I'm like, just work this out for me. And they're like, okay, this is how, this is how I am, the way that I am. And I'm like, okay, I think that honors the Lord. But just be careful about this. Like, don't allow that to go too extreme. Keep your conscience, keep your convictions in check so it doesn't make you a crazy person. <laughs> right? If you're gonna go crazy, go crazy for the gospel. Right, like lose your mind for the gospel. See, it's so easy for us to live in community together where we stop extending grace to one another. And when we start to look around and we see people based on what they think or what they feel about different things and we disagree with them, and it starts to cause this like feeling inside of us where we're like, I don't like that person. There's something wrong. Because together we are equal at the foot of the cross you've been given grace, I've been given grace. Let us walk in grace and let us extend grace to each other and let us take the opportunity to look at the gifts of understanding and speaking. If you disagree with someone, it is okay. It's okay inside the church to say, hey, can we sit down for lunch? Like that is a awesome practice where you're giving someone space to say, hey, hey, you said this, but did you mean this? Like where you get a chance to hear the person's heart. Because so many times what we do is we make assumptions about people. And I said this last week, that when we begin to make assumptions and we break ourselves from fellowship or communication with one another, then what happens is we're distancing ourselves. We fill in the narrative of what's going on. And we decide what this person thinks. We decide the motives behind this person. And we decide all that ourselves. And so instead of coming together, we make the person that's different than us, the villain. And we make them the enemy. And so instead, what we need to do is walk in speak and speak in truth together. Give each other the benefit of the doubt. Don't question each other's motives so quickly, but walk in community. This is where unity comes, is when we talk together. All right, the second reality that Paul is talking about that deep, brings about deep, abiding peace in the heart of believers is that we are safe in the right relationship. We are safe in the right relationship. I love verses eight and nine. Look with me there. He says, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom we are called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, the grace that God has given believers in Corinth and us today gives us confidence that God will keep us safe till the end of the age. But not only will God keep us safe to the end, he will... Help, help us remain blameless without guilt. And here's the beauty of this, this, this promise of safety, this promise of security, that the promise of safety and security does not rest on the faithfulness of the believer. right? Whether you're faithful or not, it, 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 the God's security over you doesn't rest on that. It rests in the faithfulness of God. And this is the promise, not only keep us safe, he will keep us together So in Christ, not only do we have salvation, we also have security, and we also have the promise of fellowship in Christ. We have something that the world doesn't have. There's nothing out there that can bring security. No government system, no amount of money, no amount of friendships, that's not going to bring security. What's going to bring security is God himself through Christ. That's where our security is found, that's where our salvation is found, and that's where our ability to have fellowship is found. We have the ability to allow our hearts to be united with other believers, no matter where they are. That's not something the world provides. You know, when I was in college, I took a a class that was uh, entitled Children's Literature. I don't know why I took the class, but I took the class anyways. I thought, man, that would be great reading a bunch of kids' books. And uh, I, I, did this, um, I did this paper on nursery rhymes. And I, you, know, you know what I figured out? That nursery rhymes are really demented. Like, these songs like teach some really, really weird things. Like, like plague and other things, ring around the rosy, pocket full of posy. Yeah, that's not a beautiful song. But one of the things, so it got me to start questioning nursery rhymes, okay? I'm I'm like a deep questioner of nursery rhymes. Have you guys ever heard of the the nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty? Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, all the king's horses all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. I have a lot of questions. (laughs) Right, What's Humpty doing up on the wall in the first place? Like, why is he chilling on the wall? Humpty's probably, because he's Humpty Dumpty, he should be humping and dumping and doing some other things. He shouldn't be sitting on a wall. And the second question I have is, why in the world do we always see him as an (laughs) Eggman? Where in that nursery rhyme does it say that Humpty was an Eggman? It doesn't anywhere. Well, I did some research, and I found out that Humpty Dumpty got the image of uh, an Eggman from the book Through the Looking Glass. I remember, it's part of the Alice in Wonderland kind of series there. And in chapter six, there's a title. The title of that chapter is Humpty Dumpty. And we see Alice engaging with Humpty Dumpty on a wall. And so that's kind of how it is, has transitioned on down. But the reason I bring all this up is you're like, what in the world? What? You just took a rat. I went- I- you're going this way, and then you go this. Like, I can't follow you. Okay, I'm going to get you there. You see, as an egg man, Humpty should have known that he was fragile and unprotected from the world. Humpty had no business being on the wall, right? Because he knew at any moment if the wind came in the right way or whatever, that if he fell from that wall, he would surely die, turn into a scrambled egg, right? He had nothing there to protect. He should have known better. And I want you to understand, not in the same way, I know this is an overly simplistic example, but I want you to see that we are very fragile. We may not be egg men or egg women or egg child, but we're fragile on our own. We are in desperate need of Jesus, right? We are in desperate need of Jesus. And Jesus promises us, like this picture do we see in scripture of his protection and security? We're fragile like an egg. And so God doesn't leave us alone. But when we come to place faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit, the power of God, comes and dwells us. The Bible says that we are in Christ and we're sealed by God. Like, Samsonite's got nothing on that. The power that we have, the protection that we have, is the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, being in Christ and sealed by the power of God. Nothing can touch a believer. And because of that, believers can do hard things. We can do difficult things. We can step outside and trust God in faith. Why? Because we know he's going to get us through to the end. It doesn't matter if it's hard. It doesn't matter if it's difficult. He is going to get us through. So we can do hard things through Christ. We can seek to engage those broken relationships. Why? Because God's gonna get you through to the end. You are safe and you are secure so you can have hard conversations and know that it's going to be okay. When we walk in the fullness of Christ and press into our relationship with God, we can walk in relationships with others. Maybe this morning you've been guilty of withholding grace. Maybe this morning you have felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit as you thought over some of the words that you've spoken over the past year or two years. And, And maybe there are people, if you look around the room right now, maybe there are people that aren't here. Because maybe something that you said, maybe something that you thought and our church has really gone through some hardness. We've had to have some hard conversations with a lot of people, and there are some people that have chosen to go a different place. And, and I'm, not, I'm not judging anything. I don't know God's plan for everyone's life. But I know some people are not here, not because they wanted to walk in grace and love, Maybe you're here because you have walked through your church that you just came from has walked through difficulties. I want, I want us to know, like, as the church, God gives us the power to do hard things, to be reconciled, to walk in love, to be gracious to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, today, I, I thought it would be appropriate if we end our time together with the Lord's Supper. Because it's the Lord's Supper, and it's, a, it's our common practice on the first Sunday of the month to do the Lord's Supper anyways, but I thought, as I was thinking about connecting the truth of Scripture with our common practice. Right? I can't think of a more powerful symbol than being reminding us that at the table of Christ, we're all equal. We all got there through the same way. right? We all come to the table only through the blood of Christ, only through the sacrifice of Christ. And instead of all the world that wants to divide us, we are one in Christ. And so today, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, if, if the Holy Spirit has been convicting you of something in your life that has caused disunity in the body, I want to ask that you just don't take the Lord's Supper this morning. Like instead, use that time to seek forgiveness of the Lord and then do the hard work of going to find that other person being reconciled with them. It's okay. Right, we, we, we know that there's nothing saving about the bread and the cup. But, but the Bible is clear in its teaching not to do this in an unworthy manner. If there's still ill will, if there's still hurt there today, then, allow, then don't participate. But instead, use that as an opportunity to begin the healing process inside your own heart. If you're here too and you're not a believer, you've never, never come to the place of trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then we ask that you don't participate either. But instead, use this as an opportunity to look inside of your heart and And say, God, what is keeping me from trusting in Jesus as my Lord and Savior? Or if you're here today and the love of Christ just overwhelms you and the grace of God overwhelms you, then we invite you to the table. Come and partake. If you haven't yet picked yours up and you need just a moment to go ahead and do that, no one's gonna shame you. You can go ahead and do that. I'm gonna pray and then we'll participate in this together. Let's pray together. Father, today I'm thankful personally for the grace that you've extended me. I'm so unworthy. For Father, you know my heart. You know my intentions. You know my affections. You know all of that, and yet you still love me. And Father, what is true for me is true for our family. Father, I thank you that you do not leave us in our helpless, sinful state, but that you came and you ransomed us, you redeemed us, you gave your very life for us. May we today just be overwhelmed by your grace. Father, as we take this bread and we take this cup, we ask, the Lord, that you bless it. We thank you for it. And help us be reminded of the sacrifice and the cost of our sin. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jesus, while up in the upper room before going to the cross with his disciples, he was participating in the Passover meal that he had done several times with his disciples. But during this time, on this occasion, Jesus takes two elements from the meal and gives them new meaning. The first element he took was the bread. He says, this bread symbolizes my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Scripture tells us that also during that meal, Jesus took the cup with the cup, he says, this cup now symbolizes the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. scripture tells us that as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. I'm thankful that we live on this side of the cross, knowing that Jesus is coming again. And while we wait for his return, he's given us the gift of the church so that we may live in grace together. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family.